In today's episode, I sat down with Nancy O'Connor, the Executive Director at Growing Food, Growing Health, a nonprofit in Lawrence, Kansas, which runs school gardens and a community garden at a women's residential drug addiction treatment center. Nancy and I talk about what keeps us coming back to gardening despite the unglamorous work and frequent failures and flops. We talk about our love for gardening, how it reconnects us to nature, encourages us to slow down, and teaches us to be present. It's a slightly different format than my other episodes, but I just couldn't help but let the conversation flow with Nancy because she's so (laughs) just a sweet soul and so insightful. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. So Nancy, if you could tell me what Growing Food, Growing Health is, um, I think that would be a great place to start. It's a big question. Yeah. (laughs) Because I can tell you what it is now, Uh but we've really evolved in response to our world. So when we started Growing Food, Growing Health, if I was to back up, we started a nonprofit community mercantile education foundation in 1999. And that's when I worked at the Merck food co-op and I had a desire to do work that was even bigger than the Merck did. So we started this nonprofit so that we had the freedom of a structure of a nonprofit to grow. Mm-hmm. But from the beginning, our work always focused on local food So the first big grant we got was called Local Food to Local People and Local Food to Local Kids. That was in the 90s, 2000. You know, local food wasn't the buzz then that it is now. Mm. And I would say that, that our work kept evolving to the start of what is now Growing Food, Growing Health. In 2010, I had been doing a lot of education and outreach in schools and Uh, kind of liked working with teenagers and young youth and trying to, it's not enough to say teach them how to eat well, because you don't just give a kid broccoli or kids are exhausted on hearing about what they should eat and shouldn't eat. (laughs) So, you know, trying to figure out how you build connections so the kids feel more about what they should eat and how food is the world around them. Mm -hmm. So the idea of a school garden so that visually kids would see food growing and have a better sense where food came from. So we approached the principal of West Middle School about putting in a small garden project. And it was, you know, when things are ready to happen, they just do. So we started the project and it majorly took off. Hmm. So we built this garden on Crestline, so it's pretty visible too. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a community awareness too. Sure. So that was how it all started, growing food, growing health. And so now we're in our 14th season. But that project grew in a very kind of organic matter manner. We um we started with one garden and we hired youth. And the youth we were looking for are the youth we need right now. I mean it sounds corny, but you know, especially at my age, I look at youth and I think we need hope mm-hmm. and we need kids that are committed to making change. So we were looking for youth leaders. So our program has very much youth development. And so we hired 
kids to work in the garden because we could teach them how to grow carrots. That was part of the project. But it was also to teach them more, to reconnect them to food, to become peer influencers, to create the change we want to see. So we've hired kids over the years. So the project kept growing and growing. And pretty soon we have all this produce. And what do we do with it? Well, we originally thought we'll put it into the cafeteria. But that's rather simplistic because Lawrence is a big school district and... You know, they have set menus, and then we're waltzing in the back door and saying, wouldn't you love these six pints of cherry tomatoes or this half case cucumbers? And so putting it into the cafeteria was a nice idea, but I think realistically we grew more than that, but not enough, you know, to be a supplier to the school district. So then we started having extras, so we started selling it. First we started Neighborhood Farmer's Market, Then we began a CSA, Community Supported Mm -hmm. Agriculture Subscription Vegetable Service that we did over at the health department. That's where we started thinking, oh, and maybe we could expose other people to these kinds of healthy foods, maybe people that don't have as much access. But it kept evolving, and the gardens were getting bigger, and we were growing more food. And I think at some point I felt like there was this missing piece because we had these great kids. They learned how to grow vegetables, but the vegetables always went to the same people. You know, they went to the people that could afford Mm. to shop at a farmer's market. You'd like to think everybody could afford to shop there. And of Mm -hmm. course, with programs like SNAP and Double Up Food Bucks, they certainly can do it more. But we had these great kids and this great potential, so it felt like we sold a lot to the Merck and people loved the project. But at some point, about eight years ago, we pivoted and we said, suppose we grew this food, but we taught kids about food equality Mm -hmm. and social justice, and we gave the food to the people who needed it the most. So we started donating it all to Just Food. So then the project had pivoted, and it became more than a school garden project. Mm -hmm. It became a project with a real purpose. And the kids started developing a kind of sense of purpose, too, because they were the growers of food for people in their community who needed it. But there was still something missing because we'd deliver it to Just Food, and the kids would ask they're thinking kids who got the food. Yeah. And we'd say, well, somebody who needed it, but we we don't know who. So they never got to see who got it. Right. So then we're still growing and we added a second pretty big garden. I mean, we helped start some other school gardens along the way, but we felt like we wanted to start a garden somewhere different, somewhere where people were who were needing this visual place of beauty and production with youth working in it. And we explored some options, and we ended up building a second garden six years ago at First Step at Lakeview, which is residential addiction treatment for women. And we built a garden there called Growing Food, Growing Hope. Mm -hmm. And that garden took us yet to another level Mm -hmm. because the garden represented something to the people who were there temporarily. It's acute addiction 
treatment, mm. um, a place that we were committed to making beautiful. So there's flowers, it's all mowed, it's very aesthetic, and it was outside the bedroom windows. And then some of the food started going into the kitchen there because the women eat all their meals there, of course. And then we thought, suppose we added some other elements like cooking classes where we brought produce and taught women about food as part of recovery. Mm-hmm. And food with intention and the potential to, to nurture and heal. So we added classes. So now we teach cooking classes there to residents. And then it was like, ooh, but the students mm-hmm. should work with these women. So once a week on Friday morning, women can sign up to come out and work. So here you've got a 14-year-old. And you've got a woman who two weeks ago was addicted to meth, and they're working side by side in the garden. But when their four hands are in the dirt together, and they're pulling weeds or pulling out garlic or harvesting onions, something really transformative happens for both the women, which was our intention, Mm -hmm. and the youth to realize we all live in our silos long answer to what growing food, growing health is. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in our comfort zones because it, it's, you know, <laughs> it's uncomfortable to get outside of it. Right. And to take kids, would they have ever known these women, these strong women doing this hard work? So they're both growing together and doing some healing together. So that's the, the mm. project as it's continuing to evolve. And then in 2020, kind of the final piece came together because Housing Authority, Lawrence Douglas County Housing Authority, asked us if we would help them with their smaller full-circle youth program garden at Edgewood Homes, which is a big complex at 16th and Haskell. And we helped them with that garden, and then COVID happened. And here we're growing all this food, and there's all this need, and we went, this is it. We can start a farmer's market here once a week called the Free Market at Edgewood. And we will bring our produce here and our youth will get connected directly to the people who need Mm. it. And that was four years ago. And it took off because the model of bringing food to where people are, no questions asked, no Mm -hmm. proof of income. We just promoted it that if you need vegetables, come. We're here every week at this time, just like a farmer's market, tents and tablecloths and beautiful displays of food. And the students work it. So people don't take food. We offer food. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're doing. And that became the final full circle piece that youth learned how to grow food and transform their community through food and giving and getting outside of themselves. And it's just been remarkable. The response Hmm. to it's been remarkable because it was also about relationships and safety and a place to come where you weren't judged and you could get, it's beautiful, organically grown, Mm -hmm. perfectly presented, everything, aesthetic. Um, And the kids are so moved by it. That, mm. that what it has done for them mm-hmm. also, as well as people they give it to. So that's kind of the, the evolution of it. So mm-hmm. we're growing food, growing health, big production garden at West Middle School and a big orchard there. 
Growing Food, Growing Hope, at first up at Lakeview, and the free marketed Edgewood homes. So that's kind of, you know, a long explanation of our work, but quite a journey that we kind of allowed to present itself to yeah. us so that we weren't just saying, well, this is what we do. Right. So these are middle school kids? They have to be 14 when they apply for one of these positions because they earn money. So it legally, oh, okay. you have, so to have to be 14. Okay. How, how do you get the kids to, like, how do you recruit kids to do this? How do you get them to be interested <laughs> in gardening and getting dirty and hot and working yeah, hard? Know. Spending their summer. Amazing, isn't it? It yeah. is amazing. It always amazes me, Morgan. I'm, how do we do this? How do we get, we get great kids. Yeah. So before COVID, we used to go to West Middle School and do a presentation to all the eighth graders. And we'd say, you know, this garden out here, this great garden. And we'd tell them about the work. And then we'd say, you can work in this garden. And, of course, lots of 14-year-olds think, I want a job where I get paid $10 an hour. Mm. And they'd go through this whole application process. And part of it is you have to volunteer in the garden because we had to see if kids really understood how hard the work was. Mm. So that's how it's started and now there's a certain word of mouth mm -hmm. <laughs> that happens where kids tell other kids it's and got certain a name for teachers in the school kind of understand the project a little deeply or deeply enough that I can shoot them an email in the spring and say we're looking for kids you got a list of kids that you think would be a good fit for this because it's not a good fit for every kid. Mm -hmm. Like when they come to the garden, they leave their phones in the shed. They don't listen to music when they're working. They have to understand it's hot, it's dirty. It's not just summer. When you go back to school in the fall, the end of school day, you have to come over here and work. <laughs> um, it's a process. And in all the years we've hired kids, we've never had a kid quit. And we've never had to let a kid go. Now, for some kids, it becomes much deeper and almost life-changing. So then we realized the structure had to accommodate a, a student who was 14 and started and went, I, I feel this work. Can I work again? Mm -hmm. Then we thought, sure you can, because we could start having a tiered program where students became teachers so now it's like that. Mm -hmm. you, you, you enter the project for the first year when you're 14 or 15. And if you excel at it, you can interview to come back and become a mentor. And just last year, we had a student graduate from KU who stayed from the Involved. time she was 14. <laughs> wow. So now it's like that. Like mm. this year, we have five students, two new students two returning mentor gardeners and one student who's been with us for four years. Hmm. So we're not bringing on a new crew every year, which is helpful because we yeah. have a lot of food to produce. Yeah. And that way students teach students. So for some students, it changes their lives in some way, maybe yeah. where they go in their future. I mean, we stay really connected to our kids too. Like the market last week was really hot. Mm -hmm. One of our former students came at the end of market and brought all the workers at the market popsicles, mm. you know, and Sweet. I just went out to lunch with one of our former students last week and she's doing artwork for us. So 
Mm. It's relationship based. Mm -hmm. Also, we're very intimate because it's five students. Yeah. And four ish adults who help supervise it. So we're a tight crew. And when you see somebody working in 100 degree weather and somebody working in 40 degrees rain, <laughs> you start seeing people's moods and yeah. personalities. <laughs> the real them come out. <laughs> yeah, because there's nothing um, glamorous about this. You know, at the end of the day, these kids look like they did what they did. Like today, mm -hmm. we did a lot yeah. of weeding in our sweet potato patch. It's hot They're out there filthy, today. dirty. You know, there is no... Um, pretense in the garden you are who you are yeah and kids are come to us with different inclinations some kids want to save the earth some people want to save you know other people some people just think gardening sounds like a cool job but i think it's pretty transformative for almost all mm -hmm. the kids who go through it interesting as a gardener myself as an adult which i just started i'm 31 i just started gardening when i was 26 um I just, I, it makes me wish that I'd come across something like this as a kid. Cause I actually, our high school had a school garden, um, but I was never aware of it. Right. And it's funny how those things like can just like kids can slip through the cracks. But what's interesting to me is like, I feel like <laughs> I was so self-absorbed <laughs> as a teenager and as like a young kid, you know, as you are, I mean, yes. because when you're that age, you know, everything is like kind of egocentric like you're, oh, the you're kind of egocentric you. yeah. yeah absolutely and so I don't even know that I had like the wherewithal to to be aware of like these things and these issues I feel like it took some maturity yes. later in my life to to then become more aware of like other people's situations and you know learn about food insecurity and things like that so I feel like it's really um <clears throat> notable that these teenagers like yes, young teenagers are. are so Pat, or even aware of this in the first place. And, you know, it's something that picks their interest, but then it's something that they get so involved in and, and care so much about and want to see the end result. I feel like that's very notable. I agree. And I think that you touched on something about who wants to work on a garden project. We have historically pigeonholed ag and people were interested in ag, like, oh, those are the students that are studying agriculture in mm -hmm. high school. Like, we have stopped thinking that way. As a culture, we think that way. And the people who grow the food, whew, we should revere the people who grow the food and who work that hard to put the food on our plates. Because food doesn't come, as Michael Pollan said, famous food writer food doesn't come out of a window into a car window from nowhere i mean it's so important to understand and respect food systems and i think that's one thing i've seen in my lifetime is that understanding we've had some great people helping to put a voice to that people like michael pollan so that a kid a teenager could work in a school garden, even if they weren't a 4-H kid, or even mm -hmm. if they weren't studying ag, or even if they didn't grow up on a farm. And most of our kids don't. Yeah. But they, something about this speaks to them. Like I said, you know, maybe they want to save the earth, or maybe it just seems like a cool project. But Yes, to help kids understand food. And when we teach cooking classes 
first step, we really talk about intention a lot mm. and understanding where food comes from and realizing that who controls the food has great power. You know, and I look at some of our local growers and I have nothing but total respect and admiration for the work it takes. And these kids could tell you how much work it takes, yeah. you know, to maintain the gardens we do and then multiply at times 50 at mellow fields or moon on the meadow. And yeah. So how do we get these kids? We get great kids and not every kid that applies obviously gets the job because we do a pretty thorough interview and really listen to them hmm. and also help them understand that this is a huge commitment and kids in high school want to do everything. Yeah. And they think they can do everything. And if you're in this project, you can't do everything because there isn't room for this project and all the other six things. clubs yeah. and track. Have you noticed? So it's been, you said, 13 seasons? This is our 14th, 14th season. season. Have you noticed any differences in like the level of urgency of the kids who are coming mm. into the program as as climate change is becoming, you know, more and more in our face and more and more apparent, you know, I, I know that there is out there uh, among kids, like school age kids, a lot of anxiety about the future yes. and understandably so. I feel like, and again, maybe this was just me living in my own world when I was a kid, but I don't think that was something that was top of mind for me when I was in high school. And part of that was because it wasn't as in our face as it is now, as far as, you know, Climate change is happening now, right? And we're seeing the effects of it, and we're seeing, you know, all of these things um, happening right now. So I imagine the level of urgency maybe has increased, or like, have what have you noticed mm -hmm. as far as like reasons for wanting to do this of the kids? Like, has that sh changed over time? Yeah, that's good. What you're saying, that's really good, because you know, when you're 14, even if you know there's climate change, and who can ignore it? It's so some people can somehow. <laughs> somehow. It's so in your face, but when you're 14, you're so into you. Yeah. You don't want to think that there's not going to be the world we know now in 10 years. Well, and when you're, you're a kid, you're invincible. You think yes. you're invincible. Yes. So there's a certain amount of that. Yeah. But there is a fluency that kids have developed even over the 14 years that we've been in the garden, the conversations that we can have start at a higher level. Because mm -hmm. especially with the kids we have, they say things sometimes that just floor me or that make me tear up or just humble me because whew, I realize that our kids... I call them our kids, and not every kid in every moment. But they get it. Yeah. They get it. And see, that's hopeful. Because it is. They're not denying it. it. Yes, and it means that they go back into their world with their friends, their peers, their classmates, their parents, and have important conversations and say things that maybe their peers or classmates would never have occurred to them. Mm -hmm. 
So they're doing this amazing ripple effect at the end of every garden workday. This was a tradition we started 14 years ago. And at first it seemed corny and now it's so <laughs> important. It's ritual. Mm -hmm. And children, you know your mother. Kids want to know certain things have parameters. They really do, even if they push back against <laughs> it. And rituals very much give kids boundaries and touchstones. Mm -hmm. So we start every workday, we sit down together, we have a blackboard, and we write out the work. We say who the crew is, who visitors are. We touch on, we have a little section that's important topics that we need to talk about. And then we do our work together. We always take a break. And at the end, we do something called liked best next time. And we create a circle mm. and we go around one at a time, uninterrupted, doesn't take long. And you say one thing or several things you liked best about that work day and what you're looking forward to next time. Mm. And after we go all the way around the circle, we put our hands in the middle <laughs> and we say, grow food, grow health. And we do this with the women residents mm. at the Growing Food, Growing Hope Garden. Whew. And to stand in that kind of communion, if you will, and community with people intimately, 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds who may be like, I don't do that kind of intimacy. <laughs> Even if the first time they do it, they go, I don't do this yeah. intimacy. They do do it. And they start saying profound things mm. because they don't just say, I liked weeding the carrots, although they say that too. <laughs> they say things that are like, like this morning, Olive said, I really felt like we were a community weeding in, in the sweet potato patch. And if you saw the sweet potato patch, you would know that if you showed that to any other 15-year-old and said, in this heat, you're going to get down on your you're hands like, and nope. knees, weed this like huge patch that was way overgrown, they'd go, are you kidding me? Yeah. And here Olive is saying the best part was we all, because we don't usually all do the same work because mm -hmm. the gardens are too big. We were all together, and we were talking, and it was like a community. It's like, did a 15-year-old really just experience that? Mm -hmm. And the answer is yes. Which is so important when, especially in this <sighs> era, when kids are often on their devices and in their own worlds and isolated. You know, it's yes. one thing, like the devices are one thing, but also the other layer of that is that you're alone, you're by yourself, you're not doing anything in community. And I mean, that's generally speaking, I suppose, like some video games and stuff, you know, you're doing with other people, but it's sure you're, you're separated by, you know, degrees of screens. Um, but I just feel like this age, this kids in, in this era aren't getting that real type of communion like yes. maybe kids of previous generations. It's just we're, we're very isolated. Oh, totally. And, you know, for the extra kick on that, COVID happened. Right, which was and extremely I isolating. Think that youth especially learned how to function in isolation. Yeah. Because they had to, to survive. And playing a video game is one thing, but it doesn't improve the world. It doesn't really accomplish anything. Maybe fun, but 
Um, but to share and work, you know, typically kids that grow up on farms, it's like it's not optional because you mm -hmm. grow up on a farm, you have to do these things together. And I think some kids have learned that value system. Your parents are self-employed or whatever. You, you understand you that. But yeah. ooh, most kids don't experience that. Yeah. And I agree with you that I could go off on, you know, media and and electronics that's why one of our first rules is you bring a phone to the garden but it goes and they all have a little box a cubby in the sheds and you put it away because the minute you pick up a phone there's a barrier between you and me yeah and we're weeding beets and we're going to weed them together and we're going to be able to hear each other so no music because <laughs> you put your buds in how are you going to hear me say it's lightning out quick, come inside. <laughs> right. You know, and kids will even say things like, well, oh, we don't have our phone. Should we go get our phone and see what the weather forecast is? Because clouds start moving in. And it's like, no, just look up. Yeah. <laughs> We're fine. We'll figure this out. Yeah. So we remove that technology. And sometimes when other youth have visited us and they have earbuds in, our kids are like, what are they doing? What are they doing? <laughs> yeah. Funny. It's really, it's so heartening. It sounds so corny, but we always say this is the hope. Yeah. This is the hope. And a small group of kids are very impactful. I mean, these youth impact the women at first step. Oh, Sometimes we shed tears in circle. Yeah. Because it's safe. Everyone knows there's respect there. There's confidentiality. And again, to see that it's okay to share that kind of emotion. Whoo, and that is a, a yeah. piece of the culture of growing food, growing health. And I feel like there's something so profound too about um, women being in a facility where they are working to get are they working to get clean or? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so working to get clean, and um, there are they're doing that hard work. Like that's hard work, oh, right? You have to you have to be honest with yourself. You have totally. to dig deep, and then to add gardening to that, and then to add children to that. I feel like I don't even know how to put words to it, but it's it just feels so um, like authentic. Like you know they're they're doing the hard work to get back to themselves to get yes. clean. And then they're also doing the also important work of like reconnecting with the earth, which, yes, you know, we're also generally speaking, like disconnected from. So it just feels like they're, ha like they must be just having like a total breaking open of everything because you know what I mean? Like, I like it's, they're connecting back to themselves and they're also connecting back to the work and and doing I don't know something about doing that with children too or I mean yes. teenagers I know they're not little children but teenagers I just feel like would be a very humbling and like vulnerable but also empowering yes. thing and authentic I like you yeah. use that word and it's very respectful and having said that it doesn't speak to every resident who's there sure. so residents choose to do it and they sign up and they have to have reached a certain point in staying there and they have to be kind of approved, if you will, to come out 
And we want the same number of women as youth so that they can work one-on-one. But there is something inherently healing about putting your hands in the dirt. Mm -hmm. And I would say, too, that uh, it's it's, a venue that allows for storytelling. Mm -hmm. And um, I see, because I am the age I am, that these women, a lot of them can go back one more generation than their parents and remember a time when maybe their grandmother or grandfather mm-hmm. had a garden that somehow felt like a time that was safer mm-hmm. or better before maybe their addiction began. And these women, some of them, many of them have children of their own. If their children are young, they can stay with them mm-hmm. at first step if that's the right and approved yeah. situation. So they also like connecting with our kids because... Some of them, many of those women have children of their own that they are currently disconnected from. Yeah. So they kind of vicariously experience our youth. Yeah, there's so much more. It just sounds about the power of, healing. of gardens and yeah. the beauty and the. I just taught a cooking class last week at First Step, and we were talking about garlic. <laughs> it sounds like a funny thing, but you plant garlic in the fall. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, really? In the fall? And then it's going to sit in the ground over the winter when it's cold or it's freezing or it hails, and it's going to sit in the ground and it's going to fight to survive. And in the spring, it's the first shoot that comes up. So we plant all the garlic at First Step because of... Mm. how it's maybe a parallel to life. Mm -hmm. So these women, Mm -hmm. you know, planting a seed or a clove, if you will, of hope, and then believing kind of against all odds that it will not only survive, but then send up a delicate green stalk and then watch it grow and nurture it. And then the women there are the ones who harvest the garlic. Yeah. I feel like that's a metaphor for vulnerability and bravery. And you know, because like you said, it's a tender shoot. It's not strong. Right. It's not armored. It's it's a tender shoot. And yes. it's the first one up and it kind of pops out like, okay, is it safe? Is it, Here is I it am. Is it safe? Yeah. And that there are plenty of failures in the garden. And then we actually learn the most from the failures. Oh, for sure. We, we learn more from the failures. When we succeed, we're like, oh, look at us. We know, I know. how to do this. <laughs> Basically when pro. we fail, we go. Oh, wow. Yeah. What did we miss here? That's me this season. Yeah. <laughs> I had a major fail in my, I, I did raised beds for the first time oh, and yeah. I didn't fill them correctly. Um, yes. So I got, I got real confident. I was like, this is going to be an awesome gardening season. Yes. And it's been a total flop and it's been so painful. Like I ever, you know, I'm like, every time I'm just like, I can't believe I did that. I, I kind of cost myself the whole season, but that I learned a lot. Right, though. And raised beds actually, <laughs> I think, do better in the second season because okay, we good. have um, <laughs> raised beds, a lot of big raised beds at first step. And we did them last year, hugel culture with sticks and Mm-hmm. And they didn't do well last year, but this year they took off. So it, it's okay, a lesson. So there's hope also. for there's next hope. year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to really, I feel like, pinpoint succinctly what it is about the garden that, like, you know, I'm thinking about the kids that, that you work with and you're saying, and, and you're right, it's hard work. You're going to get dirty. It's going to be hot. You're going to be outside on the day that you most want to be just inside in the right. air conditioning. 
so what is it that like keeps bringing us back to the garden? Because I feel like it's something that once you have, no pun intended, I guess, gotten your hands dirty sure. in the garden, you, and I mean, maybe some people quit, but I, I feel like your program kind of is an example of, you know, once you're in it, you're in it. Since mm-hmm. like you said, you've not had any students quit. So I feel like it's something that once you're connected to it, once you're, um, once you've given it a go, it's really hard to walk away from. Sure. And, and it's, it's, it's hard to pinpoint, I feel like exactly why, because it is hard work. It's really hard work, but it, <clears throat> it also produces something that's so tangible, so beautiful. And I would say not all of our kids come to the garden loving all vegetables either. So yeah. it's not necessarily that. And I don't expect that every student that left our program launched their own garden, although plenty of them have. But maybe they've launched other kinds of gardens on a more esoteric mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they don't grow their own food, but maybe they went into environmental science or social work. One of our gardeners is a paramedic. You know, I mean, they learned some skills and values that mm-hmm. were beyond what the garden gave them. Absolutely. Many of them also did keep those skills of like growing food or at least eating and trying new foods. You know, Anna was eating a raw oversized okra during break today (laughs) and then trying to convince the rest of the crew, which I don't think she did, (laughs) that they should eat it too. But Tet, to start feeling passion mm-hmm. about food that they all take with them, I think. Yeah. And understanding, you know, really deeply understanding the power of food, which is something we really talk about in classes at first step. Food is power and power to heal and change. And um, and these kids deeply understand that. That's what makes them come back the next day, even though not everybody loves every minute of garden work. Some days, like today, it was really hot, dirty work. Yeah. (laughs) But they still stood in circle. They still stood in circle and said something they liked best. Yeah. Hmm. And they still come back the next day. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. I know I'm sitting here trying to think of like, what my reason is for coming back, but I think it changes for me. Yes. You know, I think it it should change. Yeah. It should change. Yes. Like, like on the years, on the summers Mm. where I have a really successful time, you know, that, that brings me back. So I'm like, that was amazing. Like, you know, and and it sustains me this year when my garden is not producing. Yes. I think back to last year when it was so abundant and like, so over, like so abundant that I was so tired of cucumbers. Yeah, like, I if this plant puts out one more cucumber, I'm gonna yeah. be pissed. But yeah. now this year, I'm like, oh, I wish that I had that. And so, you know, it's like the hope and the yearning for the next year. In this year, that's yes. not going so great. That I'm like, oh, I'm definitely coming back because I remember how amazing that was. And yes, and then I'm sure next year there'll be parts of this year that I'll yearn for. Like this year, my my herb garden really took off, and my yes. my native perennials, and um you know, those w- were difficult gardens to start for me and they were really right. weedy and they didn't look great. And now they're the best part of the garden. And totally. I think I take them a little bit for granted now because they don't require much work now that they're established. Right. But, um, you know, it is, it's nice to have them there when, 
my vegetables aren't, you know, my pepper plants and everything have, you know, not done well this year. So I have to remind myself like, Hey, remember last year when, when your, your perennial prairie garden and your herb garden was small and weedy and you just wanted it to be big and abundant. Well, now they are. And so look to that this year. And it needs to change. If it wasn't changing, then it wouldn't be evolving and you wouldn't be learning. Right. So, you know, I always say the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. Oh, absolutely. And so you want to come back because it's like, okay, I I got it down how to grow beets. Yeah. You know. But then we can't figure the cucumbers, like this morning, our cucumbers are getting a fungus just when they're super abundant. And that lesson also for the kids too, you know, we were saying this morning, sometimes we leave the garden and I go, we got this, it's under control. And two days later, we come back and say, it's out of control. Yeah. You know. But that keeps you interested. It keeps you coming back. So there's always a new challenge to be wrestled with right there's always and, something <laughs> and new lessons too yeah. that you take through life about challenges and difficulties and yes and not always liking everything you do <laughs> right right yeah it's i've said before i mean i think my garden has been my greatest teacher ever mm-hmm. truly and mm-hmm. i've had some really great teachers but i think the garden has been the best one yet but okay so i want to do uh, some sort of fun questions. What is your favorite thing about yourself? <laughs> Everyone has a hard time with that one at first. <laughs> well, it's really funny because in our family, we choose um, spirit animals and spirit vegetables, like an embodiment of maybe mm-hmm. some of your qualities. And uh, I'm a Clydesdale, a workhorse, because one of mm. my qualities that works well in the garden is just persistence. Mm. You know, just having a vision and sticking with it. Hmm. And gardens very much require that. Yeah. So. Where do you think that comes from? Do you know? That's a really good question. I, I, I don't know. I'd have to think more deeply about that. But probably something I, in childhood. It seems like yeah, those things usually and, are. <laughs> yeah, I think recognizing the the worth of hard, humble work that you stick with. You know, you can really define yourself by that because flashy stuff comes and goes. But that persistence, that sticking with it, because it helps you view yourself as a strong person to persevere. Mm -hmm. So maybe that. And I think it's nice too, I mean, not to put words in your mouth, but from my perspective, like that kind of slow, hard work, um, it's slow at first, but then at some point you look back and you're like, whoa, mm-hmm. I've done all this. Yes. And I didn't, you know, it happened slowly. So maybe you didn't realize it as it was like happening, but then you turn around and you've got a full garden. And yes. And you're like, wow, I did that. Yes. It's very rewarding. Totally, totally. And there's great power in that and a feeling of personal strength. Yeah. I think it propels yeah. you forward. Um, what's something that you appreciate in other people? Humility. <laughs> um, it's funny. That one comes right to mind because I I think to be good at anything, you have to be humble. 
You know, we always told our sons growing up, and they're both super smart, talented guys. The minute it goes to your head, <laughs> you think you're cool. <laughs> you lost it. <laughs> That's good to know. So I never thought I, I was cool. <laughs> I admire that in people, that that kind of humility, because that brings with it compassion and understanding. And I've seen in our garden project that if you're humble, you're more open and receptive. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think there's definitely a correlation between being humble and being open and open-minded and open to possibility. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I like that you hit on that because yes, the minute you think you got it, then you're closed. You're closed, mm-hmm. and then wow, where Miss do you out go on from lot. there? Miss Gets us lot. in trouble. Yeah. Um, what's a favorite book of yours? Oh, let's see. Well, I really like the writings of author Michael Pollan, and he's a contemporary mm. food writer. There was also a passage in Braiding Sweetgrass. Mm about growing vegetables that I thought was one of the most profound Mm. um, understandings about growing vegetables that I've ever read. And it's funny you asked this because just recently I've been thinking I need to go back and find that section and read it aloud to our gardeners because Mm. it was really profound. But, of course, that whole book was profound in the connection to native cultures. Very. Robin Wall Kimmer has just, yeah, that book I have said before, I don't feel like it's one that you can sit down and like read it all at once. No, no. You have to take it in like bites because you have to <laughs> yes. chew on it. Yes. And if you were just trying to read it from cover to cover, which I've never done, you, you just can't no. absorb it. And And books are very, I like that. And Michael Pollan is very much a book like that. Like he has a tiny little book called Food Food Rules, mm-hmm. which I use in teaching a lot, which are just single food rules. You know, like like the one I mentioned about if it comes out of a window into your car window, mm. it's not food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We don't even probably want to know how much it's not food. Yeah. Um what would be your one piece of advice to somebody who wants to start gardening but who feels daunted by the idea? Oh, absolutely. Start small mm-hmm. and have a success because I've seen the worst failures be big failures mm-hmm. because a little success you can build on, mm-hmm. but a big failure is too hard to overcome because then you think you can't do it. So starting small and get a successor to under your belt so that you want to go on. And there are so many. I'm not a social media person, but Growing Food, Growing Health has an Instagram mm-hmm. account. And we follow mostly other farms because it's so inspiring to me to see all the ways that people do it. Big farms, footprint farm, little tiny backyard farms, you know, mm-hmm. um, not farms, but gardens. Mm-hmm. But Yes, or start with a pot or, um, yeah. you know, at first step, we have some cattle tanks. That's another way to go. But s- small success. I feel like I got really lucky because my first mm. attempt 
was um, just a patch of bare earth. Like I just, so we live on five acres and I just found a spot that nothing was growing, which probably is not a good sign. I don't know why there was nothing growing there, but I was like, okay, you know, I knew nothing about gardening. I was like, Uh I'm going to frame this out. So we had some bricks laying around. I framed it out and I planted some spinach and some spinach seeds and like cuts of potato and they graciously came up (laughs) and that's all I did was just one row of spinach one row of potatoes and um they came up and I was so excited and so that was my little success that now led me to like what I'm doing now and I I feel like you know that that could have flopped that could have totally flopped but I, I think I would have kept going because it was a small enough effort that it wouldn't have totally deterred me and I would have realized like you literally did nothing right. <laughs> and sure. these plants came up. And it still know. came up. I yeah. love that you use the word graciously. Oh, gosh, yeah. Because so there has gracious. to be that gratitude yeah. in the garden. And I do speak to plants yeah. in the garden. I also Me too. Apologize I tell them hello. Sometimes. I welcome them when a new yes. one comes in. Hello. Welcome yeah. to the garden. <laughs> and apologizing when you have to kill a, a predator bug that just doesn't have a place in the garden. Squash bugs. Yes. You have to, you know. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, what is one thing that you hope kids come away with after working with um, growing food, growing health? Passion and inspiration to change, to recognize that within them, they have the power to change things, you know, what is that saying about don't ever underestimate the power of one person to change the world because truly that's all there is. Yeah. So that if they come away from the project recognizing that they have great power to change their world and some part of the world around them, then we've succeeded. Mm, I love that. Well, Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I know I was a complete stranger to you prior to this. Um, And so it's just been, it's been a total honor, like just chatting with you. And um, I feel like we have a soul connection rooted in the garden. You know, I feel like (laughs) the garden does that for people. It does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Makers, Dreamers, Doers podcast with me, Morgan Barrett. Please remember to follow, review, and share this podcast with anyone who you think would enjoy it. Your support helps more people find the podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at morganbarrett underscore underscore and check out my website for more information at morganbarrett.co.